0: This is Missy with Open the Word Podcast. Winter can be hard on the soul. Ladies, sneak away for the day and connect with God through the Faith Foundation's Winter Retreat, Saturday, March 4th, 9 30 a.m. to 3 30 p.m. Tickets are available at Eventbrite or follow the link on Faith Foundation's Facebook page. It will also be on Open the Word Facebook page. Breakfast and lunch are included through the $40 ticket price. Sure hope to see you there. Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. And we are on New Testament Survey um and i'm picking up where i left off on the last podcast and we're really honing in on how god set the world stage for christ's arrival and i want to kind of point out some of the political climate that was brewing and happening and had culminated during this season um in light of what you end up seeing blowing up around christ um and some of the dynamics that were at play now i'm going to point out a couple of things You know, in the story of the crucifixion, we have Pilate, we have um, Herod. We, you know, so we seem to have this double system already. And then we have the Sanhedrin. So that is describing what we have going on in Jerusalem and Israel at that point in time. Okay, so how did we get there? Um, basically, what happens is when we have the, the Romans coming in, the Romans do something similar to what Alexander did. They appoint their generals or their governors over regions, um, but then they would allow some self-government, but they would have their man to watch over. And then, of course, they would have legions of soldiers kind of moving back and forth through the area to kind of reinforce whatever they felt like they needed to. and so you had military presence almost everywhere but it was oversight Um, and so they allowed some form of self-government and one of the self-governments that they allowed for the Jewish people uh, or the nation of Israel was actually for them to have their own king Um, and so when we see Jesus's birth we see Herod Um, now in a previous podcast I explained all the different Herods okay so the Herod that is on the scene up to christ's birth um is the first herod of a series of herods so that's important to know that he's not the one that jesus stands before later in his life when he's getting ready to die and i think sometimes if you're not as familiar with scripture you might miss the fact that it's a totally different dude okay so basically um what happens to herod at this point is herod has forced his way into king kingship the first Herod okay so right around the time of Jesus's birth you've got all kinds of prophecies surging Um, you know you've got kind of some excitement brewing because like I told you before Daniel's prophecies are pretty specific Um, and so there were um, there was a timetable of when the Messiah would have to be cut off and so you knew he had to be here before then (gasps) Um, and so there's some interesting things, but they kind of had a time frame that they were looking at. And so Herod would have been very aware of that because anything that had to do with the king of the Jews coming, he would want it to have been all over. The second thing is he was trying to make friends with the Jews. And so one of the things he had done by the time of Christ is that he had totally remodeled the temple. And that took four. Ever, And here's why. The Jews would not let him tear down the temple and rebuild it. So they had a couple of rules for him. Fine, we'll go along with you. But you can only do portion at a time, and it has to be priests that are building it. And so quite literally, the temple was replaced section by section by section very slowly and meticulously with the priests presiding and doing all the work. Okay, so Herod wasn't allowed to completely have his way. Um, but so he wanted to make it grand, big, beautiful. He was going aiming for Solomon's temple, okay? Because he wanted the people's buy-in. Why? Here's what you need to understand. Israel knew that the only man who had right to be king had to be descended of the line of David. Herod was not. He was actually a descendant of Edom. Okay, now for those of you who don't know Edom, it is all the way back to Esau. Okay, who was the son who was not born of the covenant? Okay, he's the one that Sarah said, hey, Abraham, take Hagar. Okay, and so he was of the descendant of Hagar's son. All right, which means he was not an heir of the actual promise. So for him to claim king, uh, the, the king throne of Israel was, I mean, it, one, it was appalling, but he was trying to overcome the fact that he was not by birth qualified to be the king of the Jews. Okay, so can you think of another time in scripture where we see that title, the king of the Jews? That is over top of Jesus' head on the cross when they crucify him. The Herod enthroned at the time had a fit about that. The Jews had a fit, the religious leaders at the time. But isn't it fascinating? Don't you see how everything overlaps? Okay, so go back to the original Herod, all right? He is getting to the end of his life, and paranoia seems to be escalating for him. He's trying to hold on to what he's tried to, to earn and keep all of his life. Um, and all of a sudden, in walk these wise men. And these wise men have prophecies coming out of Babylon and out of the time of Nebuchadnezzar, where all of the scrolls and all of the knowledge from Israel has made it to Babylon Okay. And how it was accumulated there. Um, And I want you to realize they would have kept a copy of the scriptures because that's what they were doing. They were collecting knowledge from all of the civilizations that they had conquered. Okay. So these wise men were out of that region of Babylon. They had studied the signs and the stars and all of those things, and so they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament as well as the Jewish priests would have known in the day, okay, and as well as Herod would have studied because you got to remember he was dreading the day that the king of the Jews was going to come because of the prophecies that were coming out of Daniel, that were in Daniel, um, and the specific timetable that was in there. Okay, so all of that accumulating, he kills several of his sons because he's scared they're going to take his throne from him, all kinds of things. Okay, so when the time comes, the reason he does this census is that he's looking for any potential kings of the Jews. He's looking for this potential Messiah that's going to take his place um prior to this um earlier in his reign he's reigned about 40 years i think at this point somewhere in there 40 50 something like that so he's had a full reign and i think that's important to notice too um that he's an old man um and he's he doesn't have a lot of stability and he's precariously perched uh with his kingship um Okay, so back several years into the silent years, the, the 400 years in between Old Testament period, um, you had uh, a Roman general come in and he, uh, you have the entrance of the Roman occupation. Okay, and so basically the Jews. Are um, they're back in their land, but they don't own it, they don't possess it, and they really can't rule it. So what ends up happening in that season is Rome sets up their oversight system, and you get a lot of the high priests that are trying to almost build a dynasty within that, and so eventually you get that power system. But right before that, you have the Maccabean Revolt, um, which is where... uh, this this uh, general that had come in initially with the Romans had desecrated the temple and done a bunch of things and uh, basically this rural priest countryside priest uh, and his five sons rise up and within three days they win back Jerusalem and the temple, Purify it and reestablish all the sacrifices. Okay. And in that period of time, sorry, that's three years, not three days. (laughs) Um, but in that period of time, we have the celebration of Hanukkah and all of the traditions surrounding Hanukkah happening because, you know, the lamp that they put in the temple had didn't have enough oil to last for the full amount of days, but it did anyway, and so it's, it's seen as a miracle for the nation of Israel. But eventually what happens is the Maccabees and the descendants continue to rule Jerusalem, Okay, they continue to hold that position. Rome kind of makes peace with it, allows them to kind of rule underneath them and self-govern. Eventually, that whole system corrupts because that's what happens over time. Okay, and so by the time you get to um, Herod, uh, he's established himself as king. Um, you know, you also have the Sanhedrin who has kind of built its power over the years in the high priest and... Uh, his whole posse, and so that whole system almost feels like um that almost feels like uh what we would call mafia you know and and so that system has run that way there's you know they're they're killing people if if there's anything but in in this whole season of time, there's been rebels that have risen, and one or such power somewhere has taken care of all of these. Riots and revolts that have kind of bubbled to the surface. But Rome has gotten a little tired with all of this rebellion happening. Um, and so they've gotten a bit rough with some things by the time we get to Jesus's day. Um, and if you watch The Chosen, you can kind of see them coming in to enforce the taxation system. And so um, the relationship between the Jews and the Romans have really just... Uh, it's it's intense and it's volatile okay and so the Jews resent that they have an overlord ruling over them they resent that there's crooked politicians being placed to rule over them they're they're angry that they have to pay so much in taxes um, you know and so there's just this general sense of unrest and into this Jesus walks. He's born. Um, and so Herod has done this taxation system where everybody is going back to their, their town of their birth to register. Um, and so hence Mary and Joseph's journey, very long journey down to Bethlehem from where they were in Nazareth. So in any case, I my heart is to set the stage so that you understand all of the powers at play surrounding this region. So after Jesus's birth, um, about two years after, they've seemed to have stayed in Bethlehem. Um, But the the Magi or the wise men coming from Babylon area have finally made it to town. And yes, it is two years after Jesus's birth, which is a detail that a lot of times our nativities do not accurately represent. Um. Having done some church decoration, it's always a conundrum as to which, if I'm drawing shepherds, or sorry, shepherds along with the wise men on camels, or what I'm doing with that dilemma. Um, But anyway, so Jesus is actually two years old when those wise men come into town. The first thing they do is they stop in to see Herod. They're invited to see Herod. And so, very quickly, in talking with Herod, they realize that this new king that they're coming to see is a threat to Herod, and he's defensive. Um, And so I think that's part of just reading the culture of the undercurrents of what's going on is the reason that they don't go back to Herod. They go another way back to their country. But in The Gifts of the Wise Men, Jesus's parents are literally given the ability to sustain themselves in a foreign land for a period of time. I don't know if you realize that, but they were given gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and every single one of those gifts could have been redeemed for living expenses completely. Um, and so, you know, literally Joseph's woken up in a dream and told to flee with Mary and Jesus into the desert, into Egypt. And so literally that's what happens. Um, and so Mary and Joseph end up down in, G- in Egypt until they hear what? Until they hear Herod has died. Um, and so Herod's death happens about two years after Jesus's birth or so, three, four years, somewhere in there. And so once he dies, um, another Herod takes his place, and that totally changes everything. Um, and so it is now safe to come home. It's safe to co- go back to Nazareth to come back as he knows it. Um, but Jesus, one thing I want to point out is that Jesus would have grown up as the only man one of the few men his age in that entire region. So I think that's pretty um, interesting to know because Moses would have had the same scenario. A lot of the Hebrew babies were killed when Moses was born. He was hidden and protected. Um, And so Jesus very much was kind of the same way. Um, And so there might have very well have been an age gap in the Jewish men of the day and age. Okay, you know what? I just thought of something. I have got to tell you guys about the region outside of Bethlehem um, and about the shepherds. Uh, The region of Bethlehem is a very special area for um, anxious, ancient, um, uh, at this time, the sheep um, process and the shepherding. Um, And so I want to point that out a little bit to you. Um, because it's something that I've not heard a whole lot um, when people talk about the Bible story. This region would have been a region that David set aside for raising the spotless, blemished, unblemished lambs that would be for sacrificial purposes. Okay, so remember, once a year, every family would take a blameless, spotless lamb into their family for about three days, and then that lamb would be sacrificed with all of the sins of the family being placed on its head. And that was the sacrifice every year that was made for the sins of the family by the high priest. Okay. So the, where did those lambs come from? Well, the, the area surrounding Bethlehem where Jesus was born was the area that those lambs would have been raised in. Okay. Um, and so this is interesting facts. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't have my sources anymore. I've heard this probably about a year ago. Um, and I hadn't heard it before, but, the the shepherds that were in this area would have been Levitical shepherds. They would have been trained like the priests would have been trained and that they knew what the Old Testament said. Now, why? Well, they would have been trained because they were responsible for raising the sacrificial lambs, okay? And so they had a very specific way of doing it, um, very specific, you know, but they needed to know the why. So they were very acquainted with Old Testament Deuteronomy Leviticus those kinds of things because that's where a lot of their instructions would have come out of, um, and so these were very specifically trained shepherds, and I think a lot of times we don't think of these shepherds as this as this um, they would have been ones that understood the gravity of what they were raising. So how were these sheep treated? compared to the other ones. Um, When these sheep were born, the first thing first is they were checked to see if there were blemishes, spots, you know, um, unformed limbs, anything that would have made them considered impure. Okay, and if they were, then they would be shipped off or sold or, you know, sent elsewhere. Um, If they were unblemished, they would be literally wrapped in cloth and they would be laid in a stone Manger, they would be specially cared for and specially they, their cleanness and everything would be maintained to a totally different level from all of the other sheep to preserve being blameless um, or spotless so that they could qualify to be the sacrifice. So when angels appear on the hills and make their announcement, these shepherds know exactly. What Jesus is they know that he is the sacrifice that is being born um and so I mean literally let me read let me read the description um I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 2 and it says in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field keeping their watch over their flock by night an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Today, in the city of David, there was born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. Listen. Listen to this. You will find a baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly ghosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. They knew in that little phrase, that sign that God specifically gave for them exactly what was meant by this child being wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. They knew what it meant. It meant that he was the one that would sacrifice his life for their sin. He would take on the role of that pure, spotless, unblemished lamb. They knew. And I just, I, can I just tell you, if you're sitting there with your mouth wide open going, holy, wow, what is that?" that? That's me. I'm sitting there right where with you. I want you to understand that this is stuff that context gives you, that you don't get unless you do diligent study in the word. And sometimes you stumble upon it in different places. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. I have thoroughly loved listening to um, Pod for Israel, or um, you can find it on Facebook as One for Israel. It is a group of um, young men. I'm I'm not sure all their background, but they're Messianic Jew. And so there is this beautiful... Uh, podcasts that are put together uh, that explain the feast, the uh, Levitical traditions, the the Jewish tradition, and all of those things that you know as an American as. You know, somebody from over here. It's it's really hard for me to understand and grasp all of the layers of imagery in the Old Testament, the pictures that Jesus overlaps and uses, that God uses to explain things. Um, and like this, this is the image of of that the the scape the the not the scapegoat but the the lamb that would be sacrificed and the shepherds would have understood this and so literally when jesus is announced to them they're given a specific sign i i just find that beautiful that shepherds matter that much to the lord it, it's just beautiful to me anyway so i'm going to leave you guys with there and i will see you next time where we're going to dive in i think we're going to start in matthew um, and I probably as I talk about one book I'm probably gonna parallel what's in one, but it's not in another and things like that. Um, but I'm gonna show you guys where each of the gospels is written written to a different audience and with a specific um, with a purpose. And so the events that are included in each book are to support the purpose and are to communicate the best to, the audience. And so when you read the Gospels, you have to keep in mind what is the purpose of this book, who wrote it, and why, and then who was it written to. So you have to keep those things in mind when you're trying to understand the differences that sometimes, quite frankly, can mess us um, us up when it comes to reading the Bible. We want everything to line up beautifully. And that's not necessarily a need for... Um, Jewish believers or you know believers in the Middle Eastern areas um, they don't get as bent out of shape over little details that feel different and look different that we do Um, and so understanding that is important to understanding scripture but we'll talk through some of those differences and some of the stories that are recounted a little bit uh, with more details in one than in another. Because the goal of the Gospels was not to give four identical accounts of the life of Jesus. That is not what the Gospels are. They were literally to different audiences with different purposes. Um, And the book of John was written to summarize and fill in what john felt w- was necessary um or needed to be said yet um and so it's very important to understand the purpose of every single gospel book so we're going to start that next time all right thanks for joining and if you guys have questions please get a hold of me you are welcome to use open the word podcast at gmail.com those messages get to me M does a great job of letting me know our editor um She does a great job of letting me know when those emails come in and I will try to get back to you with a timely reply. Um, As far as faith foundations... Around January, at some point, we'll be rolling out our dates for 2023 retreats. Um, And when we do that, um, we will have all three dates already scheduled and booked with venues. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do just yet with registrations. But um, if you would like some information on the retreats that we do, um, and uh, it would be something that we need your email so we can add you to our growing email list. Um, so that we can keep you in the know on those. And again, if you're not familiar with what those are, uh, we are doing um, m- kind of mini day retreats, I guess, if you want to put it that way for women, um, where we do, you know, like 9, 9.30 to about 3 or 4.00 where um, we make sure we feed you real well breakfast and lunch and um, there's a teaching session in the morning um, and then you, you're given some time to go out and take what you've learned um, and work on it for a little bit come in for lunch you can share you can eat enjoy yourself uh, there's another teaching segment in the afternoons and then there is an hour to two hours whatever you're comfortable with um, outside or in a comfortable space where you get to really dive into a Bible passage and put into place some of the things that we have been talked about throughout the day um, and it really gives you a boost and how to glean from scriptures. How to, to um, dig deep in God's word and really get some quality out of it. Um, and so the whole point of these is to be able to deepen your time with the Lord in the word. Um, and so that's kind of our heart for the day. Um, we've done two so far and uh, the ladies that have come, I just cannot say enough. Um, and so we're excited to see where God leads this year. Anyway, send us your email. You can get a hold of us at open the word podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page for Open the Word. You're welcome to message through that. And Faith Foundations actually has its own Facebook site for specifically for the retreats, and um, we do repost some of the podcasts on there as well. Um, you are welcome to contact through that site too. Um, we'd love to hear from you, um, but we'd love to add you to our information list and um, and get that information in your hands. These are wonderful things to bring your children, older children to, um, maybe teenager, young adult, that kind of thing, um, or young believers that you might be mentoring, or even friends. There are some... Uh, options where you can even spend your time in the Word together with a friend. And so these are just really sweet times to just deepen your personal walk with God and your devotional study with the Lord. It is a pleasure to do these for you guys, and I hope you enjoy them. thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at open the Word Podcast. Or send us an email to open the wordcast at gmail.com.